2: You're listening to the best of Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan.
3: I guess, you know, it's almost fitting, Jake. Tomorrow we'll be out at the state fair, and, you know, I could probably just buy some popcorn, get my popcorn ready, and sit back and watch Jim Irsay and Jonathan Taylor's agent go back and forth.
0: We're going to be at the dairy bar, and this is a story we're going to milk for a while, right?
3: (laughs) Boy, um, where there's smoke, there's fire. That was a popular comment that, I was trying to make yesterday on the show. It just something smelled fishy with this Jonathan Taylor contract situation. In my, you know, 12 years covering the team, it's, I don't remember many contract situations playing out in a very public manner. And last night, we certainly got it, even if that wasn't necessarily Jim Mersey's intention. Uh, But Jim Mersey's got to be smarter than that and realize, read the room, I think, a little bit better there. Um, And last night we had a tweet from Jim Irsay referencing the running back market and his opinion on that. And then Jonathan Taylor's agent decided to fire back at Jim Irsay. And here we go. Uh, That now becomes the storyline of the first day of camp. It's not Shaquille Leonard taking a very important step forward. It's not Gardner Minshew taking every single starting rep. It is arguably your best player and his agent and the owner of your football team in a bit of a public feud. Kevin,
0: here is the thing about professional sports. And good morning everybody by the way. On a it is a Thursday, right? And we are going to be at the Indiana State Fair Dairy Bar tomorrow from 7 until 10 as the state fair gets underway. And as that is Kevin Bowen's voice you just heard, My name is Jake Query. Um as Kevin had mentioned, this is going to be the big story over the course of the day. Uh, but it's going to be very hot outside, by the way. So be careful. It's already very warm and sticky outside this Glass morning. Glass is
3: fogged up. Walking in um, the car,
0: <laughs> it's a little little sticky. Kevin, when it comes to professional sports, contracts and the business of it is a lot like politics. I think, by and large, and there are exceptions to the rule, but for the most part, with sports people's entire thing is this for the most part i'm not i'm generalizing which is maybe dangerous but i think most people would agree with me here most people say listen i want to enjoy the pizza i'm not overly concerned with how the pizza's made just make me a really good pizza when i go to basbo i sit down when i go to lumonatis i sit down when i go to you know wherever it may be i sit down i order a pizza i don't go back in the kitchen to watch how it's made I just know that those are my favorite pizza places, so that's where I go to enjoy a good pizza. And while certainly when it comes to sports, people have an interest in what players are going to be there or what aren't, how they are acquired, accumulated, and maintained, people aren't as interested in in terms of the nuances of it. I think most fans think to themselves, look, I realize that players are going to have contract issues and holdouts and whatever else, you guys figure it out. Don't air it to me. Don't bring it to me. I, I don't want to hear about it. I'm worried about the final product. I'm not worried about how you resolve how it happens. And I think Jim Irsay kind of overstepped a little bit yesterday, Kevin, because he he did two things that were dangerous. The first is he essentially discredited a position both on the field position and a, a platform, a spoken platform, of a player on his roster. From a free agency standpoint and other players looking at it and that kind of thing, that becomes a little bit dangerous. Number two, he he just put a ton of pressure on his general manager to, you know, by increasing the spotlight and turning up the wick on the amount of attention about his the situation with his running back which means that he is meddling, which is something that he has always claimed he does not want to do. But most importantly, Jim Irsay made public a the fact that I, I think most people would look at it, and Jonathan Taylor has been one of the most likable players on the roster and seemingly one of the real good soldiers. So when you now all of a sudden are coming out and basically calling him out and or discrediting his stance on trying to get paid, it's a bad look. There's no other way to say it than it's a bad look. And what Jim Merce needs to realize, people in this town care about his football team, but when it comes to the inner workings behind closed doors of pushing paper across the desk to one another, they don't care about that, quite frankly. And... I think, I think. quite frankly, Kevin, it's probably 50-50. I think in terms of a contract standoff, I think 50% probably would agree with Jonathan Taylor and 50% would agree with the Colts. But 100% or, or close to it would agree, but don't air out public laundry in front of me. I don't want to hear it.
3: Yeah, the reaction of guys in that locker room, I'd be very interested to see how they reacted to that. I do think it's relevant to bring up Malki Kawa, who is Jonathan Taylor's agent. This is not a mega agent in the NFL by any means. He does represent Shaquille Leonard. Um, Outside of that, you are not going to find a long list of Pro Bowl elite players. Um, I know there are some, he, he comes a little bit from kind of the MMA background. I know there are some in that world that were not too fond of his actions there. So... You're dealing with a little bit different character than you typically deal with from an agency standpoint. And I bring that up, and this is something that I said yesterday. I think it's worth repeating. You know, two years ago, Shaquille Leonard did not open up camp on the physically unable to perform list, but he missed the first 10 days of camp due to recovery from an ankle injury, I guess. Shaquille Leonard put pen to paper on a contract on August 7th, and on August 10th, he was back to practice. Is that what we're seeing with Jonathan Taylor?
0: I think in the end, Jonathan Taylor's going to end up, they're going to get something done and we're going to go, yeah, that was all about nothing. We made a big deal about it. So
3: he is holding out right now. This is not injury related because it is a high ankle sprain that they debated having surgery on or rest on. I think you talk to anybody in the medical field, they would say a high ankle sprain does not take more than six months to recover from. Pay high ankle sprain last year, was back out in the spring, um, back on the practice field during the spring. But in terms of
0: a holdout, Kevin, the, the team had to put him on pup,
3: right? He failed a physical. Obviously, if Taylor wanted to, I'm sure he could have shown some limitations in trying to pass said physical.
0: Do you think so? I, I I don't know. I'm not trying to be argumentative. I'm saying... Do yeah, you, I mean, maybe I'm reading too much could, into could it, it, but... I mean, I would think the physical comes down to the the doctor's opinion.
3: Right, but obviously Taylor is doing some sort of physical activity to pass said physical... It seemingly happened two years ago with one of Kawa's agent or one of Kawa's clients. Is it happening here? Again, Taylor doesn't strike me as that guy, but Jake, I just think it's a relevant question you have to ask. I, this is a high ankle sprain. This is not a torn ACL. This is not a torn Achilles. Right, Jonathan Taylor, back in January, the debate was, we don't know if he will even need surgery. And now we're more than six months removed from this and he still is not full go? When Jim Irsay said a few weeks ago he was healed up, it, it just, it does not. Add up again. Jonathan Taylor remains on the physically unable to perform list. The expectation is he will not meet the media until he is removed from that list. And and by the way,
0: that part's totally weak. Uh, Jonathan Taylor seemingly is a nice guy, but but what do I always say, Kevin? We don't know these guys. I don't think he's a bad dude. Don't get me wrong, but like we just assume like, well, he's a super nice guy. He's going, but I'm sorry, like part of why do guys get paid a lot of money they get paid a lot of money because they perform a unique skill that is consumed and and has interest from the general public so based on that there is some sort of an obligation to at least meet the minimum threshold of keeping the general public aware of where you're coming from because that's your customer base those are your customers If you go to a restaurant and you have questions about the meal and you ask to speak to the manager, the manager owes it to you to come out and speak to you. He doesn't owe it to us, the media. He owes it to the fans to be able to explain where he's coming from. Because these are people that you are asking to pay a lot of their hard-earned money to come see you perform.
3: Yeah, I don't have as big of an issue of it there. I I think guys typically that are injured, I can't recall anybody ever on the pup list speaking to the media. Now granted. But,
0: But as you just said, he's not injured. He's on the pup list as a holdout.
3: Again, yeah, that's me offering a little bit of No, I, I get what I'm saying but you get what I'm saying, right? Like guess he- on that. I I don't know. Maybe I I don't know, maybe he had a setback. Maybe maybe he is legitimately injured. I'm just saying there's past precedent here with this agent that there have been some questions about guys sitting out and then boom, once they put pen to paper on a contract extension, they're back to practice. One thing I will say about the Ursay tweet, and for those that missed it last night, Jim Ursay firing this off NFL running back situation. We have negotiated a CBA that took years of effort and hard work and compromise in good faith by both sides. To say now that a specific player category wants another negotiation after the fact is inappropriate. Some agents are selling, and he puts this in quotes, bad faith. Jake, should he have tweeted it? Probably not. But he ain't wrong with that tweet. He's not wrong at all.
0: He's not—he's not wrong, Kevin, except for the fact that it's a bad look, and in particular, it's a bad look for his employees. Without to, to his employees, w- with
3: the, it is a bad look, and all of that. It shouldn't—you don't air the dirty laundry in, in in public. I agree with all of that, but if that is how Jim Merce feels, this comes back to the root of the running back argument that I have tried to make for the past several months, and hell, probably several years. Don't draft a running back in round two. Because if this guy has great success like Taylor has, you're going to get here. Correct. You're going to get here where at year three, you now are questioning whether this guy can be a part of your football team for the next whatever, three to four years. Well, You draft people in the second round to be pillar players, to be side of Lucas Oil Stadium, to be guys that are six, eight year, hopefully 10 year players for you. Running backs aren't that. So the root of this issue all stems back from Chris Ballard's wrong roster-building process. And when Taylor sits there and says, hey, you guys have paid quality players and re-signed them, again, that's where a lot of this stems from. The Colts have paid a guard. They've paid a linebacker. When you do that, you're going to have a running back sit here and say, why not me? So the Colts, it's a little bit of, you've kind of created this bed for yourself in how you've drafted how you've handed out contracts. Now you've got a player that you could make the argument, probably outside of Nelson, has been better than Leonard, better than Braden Smith through those early years. Now it's his time to say, pay me in this situation. So all of this, to me, stems back to that. Mike
0: Bostick made a really good point on Twitter. And I agree with him. Didn't the Colts tell us they're different? And I, I realized it was a previous coach and previous kind of approach but it was the same general manager weren't we told when they drafted quentin nelson it was because they were going to run the damn ball weren't they going to win in the trenches and now when you have the guy that allows you to do what you are hanging your hat on literally because they had hats that said run the damn ball when you when you have the guy that that is the face of that exact movement now you're telling him, look, we already had an agreed-upon nature, essentially, of what the the market value was. Well, you told me that the market – the Colts preached to anybody that would listen that when it came to running the football and that strategy, that their approach and their value of that position was different than every other team in the league. So then when it comes down to it, while you may be right – it looks contradictory to then come out and say, well, we realize that you play a position that you think has value, but we've already determined the rest of the league has created the market value, and that's what we're sticking with. But wait a minute, you just got done selling me and selling t-shirts and hats and an entire marketing campaign that it was different here. If I'm Taylor, that's absolutely what I'm hanging my hat on. I just think when it comes down to it, Kevin, those things from an ownership standpoint, I think people Jim Mursay is a wonderful human being and a philanthropic and fun guy. Don't get me wrong. There are there are a ton of areas where people want to hear from Jim Mursay. People want to hear about his band, people want to hear about his collection. People want to hear about his charitable things. People want to hear about him calling out Daniel Snyder. They love all of that. They don't want to hear him calling out his players. Period.
3: We're gonna move on to some day one takeaways. I should probably turn on my mic here. We're gonna move on some day one takeaways from training camp here in just a second. Jake uh, had a, by all accounts, a terrific interview yesterday with Dwight Freeney. Um, We're gonna play that coming up here in a little bit as well. Um, But I do think something to also point out about Irsay's tweet last night. Yesterday, you had. Najee Harris was probably the most vocal of running backs around the league. But Najee Harris, the Pittsburgh running back, he you know, met the media in Pittsburgh and was a little bit more direct in pointing to the franchise tag and pointing to some of the league-wide items in this. I do think that is worth pointing out in that Ursay could be responding to that and not necessarily directly to Taylor. Now, again, read the room. You got to know what's happening in your own building. Clearly, Taylor's having issues, and his agent certainly looked at Ursay's tweet and felt the need to respond to that. But I bring that up to say this, Jake. Last October, what did Jim Ursay do around the NFL? That we said, boy, an owner to do that? Man, that's quite the stance.
0: Other than the, I can't remember the timetable on the Snyder situation. Yeah.
3: He went after Daniel Snyder yeah. in a very public manner. I think this is another example of Jim Irsay defending the shield. This is another example of Jim Irsay wanting to make sure that he is showing his stewardship to NFL owners. And this is him looking at himself in a box that is bigger than just Colts ownership. And I think that's what this, this tweet is. It's saying, NFL owners, if none of you are going to say it publicly, watch this. I'm going to defend us. Running backs are talking like none other right now. Running backs are on social media. Running backs are meeting the media. They're ripping the franchise tag. They're they're trying to attack us. Well, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring. I think that's what this is. Now, again, he's got to read the room and realize his own player is one that's doing it as well. But I think to provide a little bit more of what I believe is some context around this situation, I do think there's an element of Jim Irsay saying to the league with this tweet, hey, tough luck. You guys collectively bargain this, which again, yeah, I agree again, with He's him. not wrong. I right. agree with that. He is not wrong. And I think that's where some of this stems from. But, but Kevin,
0: what what concerns me, and I think what should concern Colts fans, and and, and probably the odds are very high that this amounts to zero zip nada, right? But what would concern me is the following. And that is, I'm going to use an analogy that, that doesn't apply probably, hopefully, ever at all, okay? But let's just say that, like, our bosses started coming down on some sort of negotiation negotiations of days off for those of us that are on the air here at this radio station. Oh jeez. Okay. Now
3: you got me sweating here.
0: And let's say JMV or Jimmy Cook got into like some sort of a squabble about like a day off that they were being charged for or whatever. I would stand up for Jimmy Cook or JMV eight days a week because that's the brethren with which I'm a part of as a part of the team of this company. Having nothing to do, again, I don't want to set some dangerous precedent. I mean, I have no issue with our, we're treated very well here, and we're very fortunate to have these jobs. I'm just saying if that were to, that would never present itself, but if it was. I think that when you work in a business, whether you're an accountant and you know, you're owned by a hedge fund company and, and somebody in your department is under some sort of, you know, you you band together. I do think that players within the locker room who I think all like and appreciate Jim Mercer a great deal, the more outspoken and vociferous that he is about standing up against players trying to get theirs is going to be a bad look for him mm-hmm. because players yeah. are going to side
3: with their teammate. One thousand percent. That, 1, it's a 000.
0: dangerous, slippery slope
3: for him. And I would love t- two cameras. I'd love a camera on Jonathan Taylor seeing that tweet, and I'd love a camera on Chris Ballard. Ballard in particular I feel bad for. <laughs> I mean, Ballard's reaction's got to be like, are you bleeping kidding me?
0: Especially when Ballard, this is the position. Like, he- here's the thing if you're Chris Ballard. If I'm Chris Ballard, I'm particularly uncomfortable because Ursay just neutered the entire platform of the way that I have built my roster for the first half of my, for, well, up until now, for the entirety of my time here. Yeah, it totally
3: contradicts taking the running back in the second round. Totally. 100%. And to be fair to Ballard, Ballard and Taylor, I thought Jake were handling things pretty in a, in a pretty civil manner. I mean, they had some you know public comments about it, but none of it was to this level. And now, all of a sudden, you get Ursa, you get the agent involved, and let the fireworks Kevin, begin.
0: I've never had an agent. Okay? There would be no reason f- for me to. It, but, but I've had someone that legally represents like my contracts and whenever my contracts have come up, I guess you would say it's an agent, so to speak, but I always, and it has not been the case at this job. It has not. But in past jobs that I've had, when I went through contract cycles, I remember saying to my general manager, Hey, you've got to call Dan and talk to him about that. Like, because, and, and then, you know, he, he knows what I would like to see changed because I didn't want to impact my relationship in the building or in the hallway with the people that I was working for. I didn't want there to be some personal face-to-face ill will or temp, you know voice raising or whatever else. So that's why you have representation to a great extent. When you have the owner putting that out there and then your agent publicly replying to it, now, all of a sudden, that's why you have an agent, don't get me wrong, but when they take it into public forum, it just changes the total dynamic where the player now becomes like a pawn, and it's tough for them not to be resentful over that.
3: And for those that missed it, again, Amal Taylor's agent's response to Ursa was, bad faith is not paying your top offensive player. Uh, we'll continue this conversation throughout the show, of course. As we mentioned, we'll get into day one takeaways. I think unquestionably the biggest positive has to be the amount of work that Shaquille Leonard did on the practice field yesterday, but coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, Jake, again, you caught up with Dwight Freeney yesterday. Um, how'd that go? Uh,
0: he was great. Uh, and Dwight Freeney is, and there will be more coming out about this um, in a couple of weeks, I would anticipate, but he was back in Indiana because he is now – partnered with the Indiana Donor Network and Donate Life Indiana. He has taken on a new initiative in his retirement. Um, But he's not a guy that we hear a lot from. He was in the building yesterday, and so I was able to catch up to him. And we talked about everything from the injury that he had and how he can relate to what Shaquille Leonard might be going through and what psychologically Shaquille Leonard might be going through to his impressions of this version of the Colts to – um, his memories of being a Colt and the guys he talks to the most frequently, and his time in Indianapolis. He was great. He was super cool.
3: You know, I said this to you yesterday, Jake, when we were talking about it. I'm like, I wish we heard more from Freeney. He's
0: great. I mean, he,
3: he's a super friendly guy, man. I, I think agree. he's really enlightening, and, and I enjoy. I mean, I've kind of been like, hey, should he get into a little bit more of the media world here? But I think he's enjoying playing a lot of golf. Um, and so I know he's got a couple young kids as well. So we'll play that coming up here in a little bit. Again, good Thursday morning to you. To say it is humid walking to the car this morning would be the biggest understatement in the world. Uh, no practice today for the Colts. They will be back at it tomorrow morning, Saturday night. Both of those are sold out. And the next week is their busiest week of uh, Colts camp. It's a monday Tuesday, Thursday, I think Saturday and Sunday. So pretty crowded next week up there at Grand Park.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: You know, there are several times on this show where I have realized I'm old and One of those was when I was on my way in and I realized, you know, it was yesterday that I was editing tape of this guy from Syracuse the Colts had drafted and everybody's like, wait a minute, the experts all say he's too small. And and then he turns out to be this prolific spin move sacker. And I realized that was over 20 years ago. And Dwight Freeney, who is that guy, joins... Me here in studio to talk about that and a lot more. First off, Dwight it's always good to see you back. You look like you could play tomorrow.
2: Yeah, man, appreciate you having me back. I, I got about one play for you. It's called <laughs> called a hamstring, all right, and a, and a, and, a, and a
0: bum knee. So you have you've been out for what six years now? Yeah. Okay, so let's go back to this. This time of year, I mean, it's a perfect time to talk to you because you know, up in Grand Park and Westfield, there are. 50, 75, 80 guys, all with the same dream of making it in the NFL. What is the mindset for an NFL player of this week, of when training camp begins, whether you are a rookie or whether you are an established veteran, what was your mindset? I think
2: it's different for all those different categories that you named. If you're a rookie, all right, you have a tremendous amount of anxiety because you don't know what you're walking into you have a tremendous amount of stress because you don't know what you're walking into. Um, but you have a lot of like energy and just like you want to win the Super Bowl, get a four sack game all in one training camp day. Um, just because your adrenaline is pumping like that. So I think for that rookie Whose eyes are going to be wide, and he's going to be so excited that he gets an opportunity to make a NFL team, and uh, hopefully, eventually, do something great in this league. It's a, it's a lot going on there. If you're if you're a veteran, it's more like okay, let's get back on this bike and make sure that my workout in the off season, you know, it it did me right. Make sure that I know what we're doing this year, this season, and move on through that one day at a time.
0: You know, it's interesting because the Colts are in a position right now that really you never experienced. I'm in a rebuild, so to speak. You know, you you obviously were on great teams here. How much do you pay attention to them? How much do you follow where they are and what they're trying to do?
2: I I follow. Uh, I followed more, um, I think, Last year a little bit because it was one of our former teammates, Jeff Saturday at the helm, and um, I just wanted to see him succeed. Um, but I, I'm i constantly checking in on the Colts. Obviously, that is, you know, the second home, the the team that I identify with the most. Um, And it's like an extended family, all those guys that are there and still there in the building. Um, So I'm always rooting the Colts on and I I always pay attention to a certain extent.
0: When you look back on your tenure here, you know, obviously you won a Super Bowl. You know, you you were a part of two Super Bowl teams. You were on great teams, some of which, you know, I mean, obviously there's the discussion that can go on forever about pulling the starters and missing out on an undefeated season and all those things. When you look back on your time as a Colt, do you focus more on the things you accomplished or the things that were misses?
2: Well, that's a good question. I, I think it, it, it kind of varies, man. It's just, it's just one of those things where when you see any team, sports team, win a championship, which happens every year, every season, whether it be baseball, basketball, football, it automatically brings you back to your moment of when you won. All right. And I think that's more for me, that feeling that I feel more because I feel that I, 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 I just go back like a time machine in that moment. When I see those guys crying or hugging other teammates, so you
0: you feel that exact, I
2: feel that moment Correct. happen again, which is priceless for me. You know, it's absolutely probably that just, you get that little shining light that just comes back. Um, that will never be taken from me. Now, there are other things that I think about, you know, all the years that we felt like this was the year. Okay? You know, arguably the one of the best teams we had was in 2005.
0: I think most people, most guys I've talked to feel that was the... You're talking about the steal, the Steeler year, right? Yes. Most people feel that was the one.
2: That year, we we were, uh, I mean, from all phases... We felt like there was no team out there that can stop us. Um, And unfortunately, maybe it was the break. Maybe it was that first round bye. Maybe it was that momentum. uh, Maybe it was resting players. Whatever it was, it stopped the mojo just enough to where as
0: though we lose that game. When when you're a great player, Dwight Freeney's our guest, when you're a great player or you're on a great team... And all of a sudden you find yourself in that situation. Did you almost start playing against yourself in that game with Pittsburgh? In other words, were you like a fan where you're looking at the clock like this isn't really happening, right?
2: Well, I think you you as a player, you have tunnel vision. I think you live in each individual moment as it happens. You know, you don't want to look too far back and you don't want to look too far in the future. Um, and I can tell you that that's from a defensive perspective. It was always, every play mattered. It mattered. It It wasn't even more, it wasn't more stress. It wasn't like, oh, I really have to get to the quarterback now. I always have to really get to the quarterback. And it always have to make the play. That was the mentality. Um, that game, until it was over, it was kind of, in our minds, we have to win this game, and we can win this game, and we missed the field goal to win the game. You know so there was no moment where we had anxiety or stress in from from my perspective to where as though I didn't think we weren't going to win this game. I felt like every single moment we were going to win this game somehow some way, and we didn't
0: you know, you are an interesting case because you know you're the best defensive end. well, you were, Robert. I, mm-hmm. I I mean, we could probably sit here and boardwalk and park place that until the cows come mm-hmm. home. but in the Indianapolis Colts era, certainly one of two, if not the best defensive end that's played here. And the spin move was so much of that. I think we live in a world, Dwight, today where people are specifying their kids' athletics. What was your favorite sport growing up? I I loved it all. and Because and you played three or four, I, right? I, I loved
2: them all. And I really mean that. And I don't know if I, I can say football was my favorite. I played football with the guys in the backyard or in front of the street, just kind of just doing our thing. All right. Two hand touch, sideline crack, whatever you want to call it. That's what we did from a football perspective. Loved the game, but never played organized football really until I was in high school. All right, but it didn't take away from the love of the game. I cried when Lawrence Taylor retired. I was a huge Giants fan. I loved basketball. I Was a big Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls fan. I love the Mets. Still have a Mets hat on. I was a big Dwight Gooden and Daryl Strawberry fan growing
0: up. I loved all sports. So for like with my buddies, for example, we would play backyard sports depending on the season. In the summertime, we're playing home run derby all summer. In the the fall, we're playing backyard football with a Nerf football. And and then in the wintertime, we're going to an open gym somewhere. Same thing for you, I assume, right?
2: Absolutely. And and I always tell parents, you know, now, um, because it kind of, they put these kids in just one sport and they, that's where they focus on and say, you're going to be a baseball player and that's it, or a football player and that's it. But. For me, I learned so much from being in different sports, certain sports that, you know, you may think had nothing to do with football, you know, maybe hand-eye coordination. Like, could your spin
0: move have been born in a different sport?
2: Well, it actually was born in another sport. My spin move was born on the basketball court. I was a big and one mixtape guy back in the day. I used to love it, and, it, and when you watched the and one mixtapes, it was guys doing exotic moves on the basketball court, going through your legs and traveling ninety nine. So you were skip to Malou what yeah, saying, was right? skipped to my loo, is what you're saying? Yeah, I was skipped to my loo, and I was going out doing my thing, you know, as a basketball player back in the day, and it happened to be. On a football field where I'm next to one of my um, teammates and we're going through practice and I said, you know what? I want to try to do the craziest way to get to to the quarterback, just something that just completely makes the offensive tackle just fall all over himself. No different than a killer crossover, crazy move on the basketball court. So I end up adopting certain things and saying, well, hmm, maybe I can flip. No, I can't flip. How about a spin? And I started spinning and making the offensive tackle just fall all over himself and couldn't block me. So it was probably the best way I can make him look as silly as possible blocking me. That's where it started on the football field, but it actually really started from watching basketball, being a basketball player, and knowing what that whole life was about.
0: And no one could figure it out. I yeah. mean, your entire career, no one figured out how to, how to guard it.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's it was, first of all, no one was doing it, okay? It wasn't like I learned it somewhere. It doesn't look like I watched film and said, oh, I want to do this move. This is something that was unique to me, authentic to me, organic to me. So I went out, and it was natural, okay? So therefore, for me to do something natural like that, for from since high school going all the way into the pros, And the pro guys never saw the move. All right. And they're like, how do we block this move? Because that was taught never to turn your back to the quarterback. It was outlawed as something that you should never do unless you get stuck and if you get stuck, then you kind of like, you know, maybe you counter back and and try to spin off a guy. But it wasn't used as a primary move the way that I've used it. Now I see it all over the place where I know I can smile. I know I left my name on the game. Yeah,
0: now it's called the Dwight Freeney, not yeah, the Skip yeah, the Maloo, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: so yeah. Hopefully, man. But, you know, for me, it's I know I left my mark on the game. But I knew how it evolved. At, every year I try to do different types of versions of it. And it would be all predicated on what the offensive tackle was doing, and how, and predicated on speed around the corner. And when I got older, and when I couldn't have the, I didn't have the same type of speed, I would. It would be based on
0: power. You had a situation in your playing career. Uh, I think it was the first time I ever heard. I never know if it's Liz Frank or Liz Frock. Yep. Uh, I thought it was a girl I was a high school with. Yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's it's obviously the foot injury. You had it. Yep. You went through it. Um, what is the, if you had to guess, based on your experience, psychologically, what is Shaquille Leonard going through right now to try to, when you know that a defense counts on you and you want to be on the field and people are counting on you and you're it's a waiting game?
2: It's tough, um, especially for a player like him. If he was anything like me, I wanted to play. I wanted to be a part of this team and I always wanted to be out in that field no matter what we practice or what have you, because I knew I was an important part of the team, but it, I just loved it that much. All right. But the thing is, you can't go out there too soon. If you go out there too soon, you're going to end up hurting yourself again or you're going to put a bad representation of yourself out there. Who, who What isn't you and you're going to be very frustrated with yourself. So you, it's a patient game that you have to wait and wait. Until things heal up correctly to where you truly feel yourself. All right. And that's different for every guy, and and every injury is different.
0: Former Colt, you talk to the most often?
2: Hmm. I would say
0: Raheem Brock. Really, Raheem Brock was underrated a, player, by the way.
2: Very underrated. He was a versatile guy who could play D tackle and defensive end, um, and did everything that you know anyone wanted him to do.
0: Guy in your locker room that was kind of more of the leader than people would anticipate. People would obviously say, oh, "Well, Peyton Manning or Jeff Saturday," but the, the guy that you're like, you know what? That guy was a huge part of what we did.
2: I think um, Tariq Glenn was huge. I think Tariq Glenn was a big leader on the offensive line. he was a guy, he was a quiet leader. Um, Reggie Wayne was also a, a big leader. You know, from the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, there was a lot of guys out there. Bob Sanders was a leader. Uh, uh, you know, and and even even you got guys like Gary Bracker who was a captain uh, of our defense uh, so many years. So there's a lot of guys you know, that were big time leaders.
0: Okay. Last couple things. things. Uh, do you talk to Bob Sanders? Cause he's like the world's greatest enigma. Yeah.
2: I hadn't seen him. I only time I see him last time I saw him was when I got the ring. Of, when right. I went to the ring of honor. He is, but I know he's somewhere in California and I know he's trying to work on his golf game. That's like, that's why I heard.
0: from. Him. Okay. So, and I under, you were a pretty good golfer, if I'm not mistaken, you golfed a fair amount when you were here, but you are now, let's get caught up on Dwight Freeney today. Uh, you're in Southern Florida. I can't blame that at all. Um, I would imagine you get up every day, you walk around the beach, you like maybe fish a little bit of golf and then like eat Fruity Pebbles and watch TV. Although you look like you could play football. (laughs) Is life good?
2: Life is good, man. I'm enjoying it. I'm spending a tremendous amount of time on that second chapter of my life, which for me is taking care of my family and taking care of my two little girls. And And they're how old? And I have one that's two and a half, and I got one that's about three months. And it's absolutely awesome. It, It doesn't matter how bad my day has been and my day, you know, how bad can it be hitting a, you know, but if you're competitive like me, when you hit, golf balls into the water multiple times and you're like why is this ball not going where I wanted to go you get you can be kind of pissed when you come home but when you walk through that door and you have your little daughter just screaming your name and daddy's here it changes everything
0: just remember when you're playing tag one day and they spin to get away from you <laughs> karma's a be right
2: absolutely
0: hey dwight it's always good seeing you man appreciate it and um, enjoy the just hitting them straight and enjoy the sun down in florida
2: thank you man thank you for having me
3: Fireworks continued deep into the night. Actually went back out to Grand Park about 5.30, uh, and James Boyd was still there. And then little did James Boyd know he would go home, or I assume he went home, and all of a sudden Jim Mersey would fire off a tweet and James would be working until the wee hours of the morning. James Boyd, give us a rundown of your schedule yesterday.
1: Yeah, so for the most part, it was pretty straightforward to start. I had the minute-by-minute breakdown of Anthony Richardson's day.
3: and Nice work on that, pretty, by the way. I enjoyed yeah, that. I, I know it, it wasn't the most active day for Anthony Richardson, but for those that missed it up on the athletic, kind of a, yeah, as James said, a minute-by-minute breakdown of Anthony Richardson's first training camp practice.
1: Yeah, so you'd think that would go by kind of quick, but getting into the details of every little thing, I was like, wow, this is way more tedious than I thought it would be when I did it, so – when I finally felt like I finished that off and had the right quotes in there and kind of gave it some, you know, room to breathe, head home thinking I'm done for the day, and I see Irsay fire off his tweet, and I'm like, okay, like I'll react to this on Twitter. No need to like, do a story or anything like that. And then JT's agent returns the fire, and I'm like, all right, I got to write something. This. So that's the job sometimes, and I felt like we were all in the same boat in that regard where we were all close our laptops and have to reopen them because – um, obviously, the negotiations, the conversation around running backs, is no longer, you know, I guess as cordial as it had been um, prior to last night's uh, uh, developments. I
3: I really am unsure of how this all is going to play out. Um, obviously, there are eyes on it, James, here locally, understandably, certainly eyes on it from a national standpoint. Um, I guess let's just boil it down maybe to the last 24 hours. What do you make of Taylor on the pup list with an injury that seemingly could have been resolved or should have been resolved much earlier in the offseason than what we saw last night with Ursay's tweet, I would argue taking a little bit more of a league-wide stance than the direct shot of Taylor, but hell, read the room. Uh, and then obviously Taylor's agent firing back at the Colts' owner.
1: Yeah, I think that at the end of the day, man, it's just not a good look. Like I can never question a guy and say, how healthy are you really? But the optics of it do not look good. And then when you have your agent publicly firing back at the man who's supposed to pay you, I'm thinking to myself, how is this going to work? Because no matter what anybody says, and they say it's just business, everything is personal as well. Every business transaction is personal. So I don't think it would be wise to get on the bad side or, um, upsets the guy you're asking to pay your client a ton of money. And so um I don't know. When we see JT again, I will say this, he never really gave us a timeline of his return. Everything that we asked during the spring and since he had the surgery in January has been, you know, I plan to be back by then. I hope to be back by then. But there was never like, I'm gonna be back by then. So um there's a little bit of a buffer there, but the optics don't look good. And the elephant in the room, I wrote this yesterday, last night, is are you using this as sort of like a hold-in so you don't get fined for missing time with the holdout because he's still on the contract?
3: Yeah, and I'll sl- slide this in before Jake hops in. You know, That's something we saw, I think, and I could be wrong, but I thought we saw that with Shaquille Leonard a couple years ago. And I think it's worth mentioning they both have the same agent, Shaquille Leonard and Jonathan Taylor. All of a sudden, Leonard signs his contract on August 7th and August 10th. He's back on the practice field after missing 10 straight practices to start camp. Now that's a little, you know, it's a, it's probably unfair of me to totally go there with Taylor, but we are talking about a high ankle sprain that has now taken six months to get better from. James, I'd make the argument if I were a Colts fan, I would hope that he is doing an actual sit-in and that it's not a lingering ankle issue that's lasted over six months.
1: Absolutely, and I also don't know how you gain leverage by doing this because if you are legitimately hurt, they're going to be like, well, you're damaged good, so we're not going to pay you. We're going to make you play this rookie contract out. And then even if you aren't damaged good, they're going to be like, well, you're coming off an injury-riddled season, so we're still going to make you play this contract out before next season where we could decide to franchise tag you or whatever. And so um, I just don't see how he gains any leverage. I said this yesterday in a quick video reaction on Twitter. He has zero leverage. None of the running backs do. It's not a matter of... Right or wrong. We can talk about morals, and all that later. But I mean, just as far as the rules go, he's not wrong for wanting his money. But then Jim Irse and the Colts are not wrong for saying, well, we can keep you at this race so while we pay you more.
0: James, do you believe, and I do for what it's worth, not to sway you to my side here, but do you believe that even though Jim Irse may be right in this, that there is the danger of Sending the wrong message to other players that could prospectively become Indianapolis Colts via free agency in the future, etc., by publicly airing out a contract
1: dispute? No, I don't think it'll really have that too much of an effect on things because, I mean, Michael Himmons Jr. is going to get paid and he's going to get paid by the same guy, most likely, and he has probably no issue with, I mean, I'm not see for Michael Pittman Jr. I'm sure he's probably like, well, that's not the nicest thing to do to my teammate. But for, if I'm an individual, I'm not too concerned with what the other guys got going on with his contract. Now, obviously, you want your teammates to be compensated. You want them to feel good about coming into camp, all those things. But at the end of the day, it is a survivalist you know, type of league and type of mentality you have to have. It's, it's me you know, for myself at the end of the day. And so I think that as long as you pay the guys you want to pay – and you offer that money, um, you'll be fine. It was the same conversation we had when he hired Jeff Saturday, you know, and had all the uh, coach debacling and things like that. And people were like, wow, would legitimate coaches try to come to the coach or would they feel like, you know, this guy's in the way? And they still ended up with a pretty good coach and a great list of candidates anyway. So I think it doesn't really matter at the end of the day as long as he offers money and um, the money is where those players specifically feel like they're worth.
4: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
3: James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic. I, I think we will move on. I, I don't know. Maybe something else will pop <laughs> into our heads. And we'll go back there in just a second. But um, frankly, James, I was stunned by the amount of work Shaquille Leonard did yesterday. You know, I thought his comments... Post-practice was about what I would expect. I mean, I've never for once ever thought this is an Andrew Luck situation. I think Shaquille Leonard is beyond obsessed with the game of football, and I thought his comments were really enlightening in the safe haven that kind of stepping between the lines provides for him. But still, the, the quantity of work. Again, we're going to get to judging the quality of the work down the road, but for day one... The quantity stunned me. I know you were pretty locked in on Richardson, but um, from a Leonard point of view, what did you think of uh, what he did yesterday?
1: I thought it was really solid. I mean, I did get a chance to watch a few reps from um, Shaq while Richardson was running with the twos, so it gave me a little bit of a chance to see him. And I just thought that the fact that he hyped the crowd up, that was the moment where I was like, all right, Usually you come back and you kind of just want to see how you are before you engage with the crowd and do all that stuff. But he was kind of like, and he did I'm say here. he was really
3: nervous early on, like through the individual period, and then he kind of was like, okay, I can I can do this. Yeah,
1: it, it kind of looked like you could see that that flip gets you know switched and, and it was like oh, or switch get flipped and he was just like, man, I feel like myself or at least part of it. And I can kind of see myself being back to who I was. And I did ask, you know, hey, are you seeing the light at the end of the tunnel? He's like, no, it's still a little bit dark. I think he's just kind of like, I don't want to you know, say anything, do anything before I actually can do it, but to be running with the ones, um, to be moving pretty fluidly from what I can tell, I'm not like a doctor or anything, but he looked pretty good. Um, he said he has to watch the taste himself to see how he looked, but um, I thought it was very promising because, again, it was very mysterious, and it looked like we finally got a peek behind the curtain yesterday to seeing him actually make some progress because for so long it was like, oh, he's progressing. It's like, well, yeah, what does that even mean? We haven't seen the guy. So now when they say he's progressing, I'm like, okay, everyone's not really like, you know, lying to me. They're actually seeing something. Not saying that they were doing that before, but it's hard to really give that any, you know, credence when, again, you just hadn't seen the guy. So happy for Shaq. And like you said, he loves football. I think even if he isn't able to get back to the pool of who he was or was never able to play the game again, he would go out there and like be terrible before he just walked away from it. Is my opinion.
0: James, who has the best opportunity at corner? Because that's an area that Indianapolis clearly is, I wouldn't say deficient, but if you had to pick a unit that is in most need or has the best opportunity for someone to jump right in and make a name for themselves that we might not be looking at, who is somebody that you look at and you go, you know what, that could be the guy that, becomes a household name in five months from now that that most people don't know of right now
1: I would say Dallas Flowers I said this yesterday on the midday show sort of my hot take I think that he could be potentially the best cornerback on the roster or the most impactful one given the scheme I know we talk about Kenny Moore him being I'm a veteran you know obviously having the starts under his underneath his belt and um you know having a bounce back season potentially but We still don't know what he's going to look like in Gus Bradley's scheme, which is the reason why he kind of fell off last year to begin with. But with Dallas, he's long, he's athletic, he's extremely confident. He's been the same way. I mean, when I talked to him last season after he made the 53-man roster as an undrafted guy, he talked like he'd been in the NFL for 10 years. He's like, I'm going to do this. It was never like, I hope to do this, I hope to do that. He's like, I'm going to get my shot, and I'm going to make the most of it. So I think that him being sort of that long, athletic guy, um, and then just being healthy gives him – an opportunity to go out there and and get more reps and seize the opportunity because um, with Juju Brents, he's out now with the hamstring. You know, Darius Rush was still a fifth-round pick, I believe, so he has to get acclimated after missing all the spring. And Dallas is a guy who's kind of been, you know, waiting in the wings, making his plays and taking advantage of his uh, chances and opportunities. So I think that's a guy who could become a household name in Indianapolis and one that's easy to root for as well.
0: Did you feel like like James, as I did, that Kenny Moore, when he met with the media – was a little bit humbled from a year ago of like, yeah, I probably would like a do-over and not not necessarily apologetic, but it was almost like he was well aware of the fact that people knew he had a down year.
1: Absolutely. And I think that's been the theme that he's had pretty much all offseason. When we talked to him at the end of the season, he was very candid, and that was when we didn't know if he was going to be able to come back or if they were going to trade him or something like that. Then I, mean, I talked to him at an event at the Indianapolis Children's Museum, and he was very reflective then and was saying, like, yeah, I'm just grateful to be here. You know, I got to, you know, bounce back. It was times where I thought I wasn't going to be on the team or whatever. And then yesterday I thought you asked a fantastic question to him, like, hey, did you let the contract stuff um, going into last year kind of cloud your play after you weren't rewarded with what you thought you deserved? And he was like, yeah. And then I'll keep dug a little bit deeper and ask for some details. He's like, well, I'm not going to get into that. But I think that he was very, very, very reflective and someone who – um kind of sees the writing on the wall where this is a make it or break it year for him. And, um, you know, he's got to focus on the play level rather than, you know, being rewarded. And so I think that, um, you know, they could ideally bring him back. He said he wants to be back here, but again, nothing is a guarantee with what's going on with the team outside of Anthony Richardson. So I think that he's someone who's uh, just looking to prove himself and hopefully, you know, be better utilized in the system this year.
3: Okay, James Boyd is with us here from The Athletic. His latest kind of a minute-by-minute breakdown from Anthony Richardson's first training camp practice. As James said, all second-team reps for Richardson yesterday. Gardner Minshew took all 15 starting reps. That was kind of the trend. Not to, I think, that degree. That was kind of the trend we saw late in the spring. James, I know Shane Steichen doesn't want to go there anytime soon, but (laughs) like, when do you start thinking? I I mean, right now, it. it, how do you not think that, okay, Gardner Minshew is going to be the guy week one? I mean, again, it's July 27th, but if you just base this strictly off of practice reps, you would have to say that the Colts are going there. Um, I know Steichen and Ursae in particular have been pretty open-minded about Richardson playing early. Where I guess when do you start saying, all right, you can write Minshew on the death chart in, in in pen or even Sharpie.
1: Yeah, I would say when we get around those first preseason games and things like that, joint practices. If he's still taking all the first team reps during like joint practices and stuff, then obviously you're like, okay, this has to be the guy. Now we have some time before then, and I just think that this was a simple way to kind of ease Anthony Richardson into. Um, you know, practice, training camp, that environment. So I wasn't too surprised to see um, Gardner Minshew running with the ones. But also, I believe you or someone else asked him, do you see yourself as the starter? And he's like, well, you know, I started today. We'll see what happens. And so he's not going to give anything to Anthony Richardson, which he elaborated on. He was saying, you know, I want him to be his best, but I want to be better than him so we can push each other. And I think that's a good combination to have. But right now, um, you know, everyone can kind of relax a little bit. You know, if he doesn't start – you know, by the end of the week, you know, don't panic or whatever. But the good thing about it for us, K- KB, is that we get to see it every day now. Like, you know, it was hard to gauge it during, right? You know, rookie minicamp, OCA. we were there once a week, and he's like, "Well, on other days, he's doing this," and we're like, "Well, we can't really believe you because we, don't- we haven't seen the other days." We're gonna see every single day now, so um, there will be no hiding when we start to see a trend in one direction or the other. Um, we'll be able to, you know, kind of elaborate or react off of that.
0: James, you. And my apologies that I can't recall this specifically. You came to Indianapolis when? You've been here how long?
1: November, I believe, 2021. Okay. So, yeah, first first Pacer season, 2021-22. So
0: have you been to – tomorrow we're going to be live at the Indiana State Fair. Have you been to the Indiana State Fair?
1: I have not been to the Indiana State Fair.
0: (laughs) So my goal then is to get you to the Indiana State Fair. You you have not, like, experienced true Indiana until you've been to the State Fair. (laughs)
1: This is true. I have a lot of things to knock off the bucket list. I got a five hundred to get to next year. I got to get to the Indiana State Fair and I guess the benefit of doing football now as opposed to coming here for the n b a is that I have a life um sort of outside of my job when I did Pacers, I really did not see Indianapolis, and I really was not living in Indianapolis as far as I was concerned because I was home for a few days and on the road for like a week and so Looking forward to that. It should be fun, and I'm trying to like get everything knocked off the the bucket list before season starts.
0: If you were going to be at the Dairy Bar, which is where we're going to be tomorrow, would you go with the following menu options? Here, you got cheese sticks. You've got grilled cheese of multiple variations, or you've got um, mm-hmm. like the well, just like malts or or you know, basically. Shakes.
3: It's a great media question. Even though James weighs okay. about 130 pounds, <laughs> which one would you go with? You're not
1: lying to KB. I'm very skinny. Um, I would go with like a monitor or a shake. I'm, a, I'm definitely a big milkshake guy. Um, not a huge cheese guy, and um, I guess that's why I'm so skinny, KB. I barely, you know, eat a lunch a bunch of junk food as it is, but I'm always down for a good ice cream, anything. That's grilled cheese, though.
3: Swiss on rye. A lot of veggies at the media lunch yesterday at Colts training camp, and you would have thought James had just seen a bear just staring (laughs) right at him. He wanted no part of that whatsoever.
1: I mean, I was kind of you know, with Chap on that one. Chap doesn't like his vegetables, (laughs) and I'm usually a a pretty good vegetable guy, but yesterday I was like, I can't even name these vegetables, so no, I will take a pass on that. So hopefully they have something that's a little more, uh, I guess, unhealthy – because to me, my dad's rule is that the bag ain't greasy. It's not good. So, you know, <laughs> give me some some Wait grease, you know, tomorrow and we'll be good. Is it
0: only during the season when they bring in hot box pizza for everybody?
3: No, we, we get, uh, I assume they are team meals. They bring those yeah. over to us after, yeah. uh, wow. after they like, feed the players and you know, staff. Yeah. I'm
1: not trying to, you know, deadlift today, so you can bring me a burger instead. Yeah, the,
3: no hotbox action for us uh, <laughs> yesterday. James, I I say this for you and and for me selfishly as well. I hope the day off is quiet for you, all right?
1: Yeah, I man, I, I mean, we're in this together. I feel like every time <laughs> I see some chaos happen on a different beat, I'm like, I'm glad I'm not covering that. And then Jim Ursay just kind of threw, you know, a bomb onto my uh, evening last night. So. Yeah. Thankful for that. (laughs) I'll catch up with you guys soon,
0: though.